Chapter Fifty Two of the Goddess of Atvatabar by William Richard Bradshaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nigel Fisher. The Battle of Kalnagur. Long ere we reached Kalnagur, we discovered the royal army already marshalled to meet us. It lay above the city in globes of whaleels and bokkakids still more prodigious than ours. It was composed of three armies ranged one above the other, and each army being equal in numbers to our own thus forming a solid parallelogram of amazing magnificence the royal army awaited our onset its bokkakids formed in ten globes of ten thousand in each and led by grasnagalapas the lord of invention were the flower of the army and occupied a central position where possibly they would do the greatest damage to us high overhead in a chair of state supported by twenty whaleels sat coltenbury commander-in-chief of those immense legions that were ready to do battle for the defeat of the cause of their late goddess and the honour of their king the sight of two such armies of winged gladiators sweeping towards each other in revolving globes was one of breathless interest the approaching fight was a question of life or death to both combatants defeat to aldmeri bulmacar meant possibly the loss of crown and kingdom and our defeat meant the annihilation of the party of reform and the cause of leone we were eager to begin the fight without delay to obtain greater freedom of action i led the army up into the region where there was no gravity the movement was followed by a similar movement on the part of the royal armies who rose like a swarm of locusts to meet us the noise of so many wings in motion was like that of a roaring storm and formed an inspiring accompaniment to the music that rang upon the sunlit air here fifty miles above the white clouds beneath both armies closed upon each other there was a fearful yell of bulmakar answered by as loud a shout of leone our army was literally buried in the centre of the enemy the impetuous priests of egyplosis and the no less eager priestesses performed prodigies of valour our mitrailleuses were a complete surprise to the enemy thousands of their whaleels were killed ere they could deliver a blow with their spears there was considerable slaughter on both sides but the enemy depended largely on their magnet spears and shields while we handled our guns with terrible effect the volunteer army under Hushnoli suffered greatly by the demoralisation caused by the enemy Bokkakids under Grasnogalapas. The terrible legs of those machines destroyed the military formation of our whaleels, producing a continuous panic and permitting the enemy's whaleels to work a ghastly slaughter in their broken ranks. In revenge, our Bokkakids, with the more deadly weapons, literally tore their globe to pieces. Notwithstanding our superior arms, the greater numbers of the enemy made them a match for us the rushing of wings the explosion of the machine guns the clashing of spears the yells of the combatants made a scene of infernal horror as the focus of the battle swayed hither and thither it left behind a trail of blood dead and wounded bodies broken wings spears and revolvers the debris of the battle simply floated out on the air veritable clouds of disaster irregular masses of dead and wounded whaleels and broken bokkakids floated in heaps amid pools of blood the enemy could only succeed by stabbing, whereas our whaleels were scorpions whose guns were fatal. With the points of their spears they made great havoc in our battalions, but as long as our ammunition lasted their formations were immediately shrivelled up. Coltenbury began to mass his army in the form of an immense outspreading hemisphere of the form of an open umbrella. His intention was to enclose us on all sides, and so if possible devour us. I at once ordered the army to take the form of a cone, each legion being a segment thereof, whose apex was formed of bokkakids, and whose base was wide circles of whaleels. With a blast of the trumpet, I drove the entire army like an enormous javelin right through the heart of the foe, tearing a yawning chasm, half a mile in diameter in his ranks. 
We lost fully 2,000 men in this moment, and the foe over 10,000 in killed and wounded. The enemy, paralysed by the onset, became consolidated into three or four immense globes. In front of these they placed their bokkakids, whose monstrous limbs alone could keep our spears at a safe distance. It was the intention of Coltonbury to ram us with the cohorts led by Grasnagalapus and his bokkakids. Hastily reforming our broken ranks as before, I ordered a flank movement, rapid and decisive. Our bokkakids plunged into a tremendous mass of waylils. In the chasm thus made in the ranks of the enemy, General Zulisoas threw her Amazons, protected on either side by the legions of priests of Egyplosis under Girolio. The priestesses, whose spears were particularly long and powerful, did terrible execution. The enemy was for a time panic-stricken as the glorious girls made their successful onset. The dramatic beauty and the flash of their spears made a scene of imposing grandeur. Coltonbury, recovering from his surprise, ordered his bokkakids to the centre of the fight. To prevent the sacrifice of the priestesses by overwhelming odds, I sent the Bokkakids of Art to their assistance. These swept to the rescue like a flight of eagles, and the Empyrean echoed to the roar of the combat. The fighting now became general. The sunlit heavens seemed filled with the ferocity of war. The discharge of guns, the yells of wayleels, the trumpet signals of the commanders, the crash of swords and spears, the ceaseless motion of wings, and the long trail of dead and wounded combatants that followed the fight like the debris of a comet was a sight but rarely beheld by human eyes. Each army seemed so equally balanced. The king's army had the advantage in numbers, and our own the advantage in weapons, that neither party could yet claim a victory. Further fighting seemed useless until some new tactics were employed. Therefore I gave orders for a cessation of the battle, and caused flags of truce to be hoisted. Both armies indeed required food and repose, and the wounded required immediate attention. The enemy was no less anxious for a truce than ourselves. Consequently all fighting ceased and both armies withdrew. Several miles apart, sentinels were placed on guard on outposts in the atmosphere, and our wayleels threw themselves upon the air in various attitudes of repose. In company with Generals Hushnoli, Laldemir, Girolio, Zulisoas, Thubal, Charka, Yamul, Starbottle and Goldrock, I visited the scene of the battle. How ghastly the realities of war! There floated irregular piles of dead and wounded bodies, from which poured many a trickling stream of ruddy life, which formed immense cloud pools of blood surrounding each ghastly pile. The heaped-up masses of the dead would vibrate as some poor suffocating wretch struggled in his last agonies. Dr. Merryferry and his assistants hastily took possession of the wounded and ministered to their necessities. Water was supplied them from leathern bags of water that formed part of the commissariat supplies. I ordered a detachment of whaleels to separate the living from the dead and bear the wounded to Kioram for immediate attention. The saddest sight of all was a cluster of fifty beautiful priestesses embracing one another in a long caress of death. They had been slain with the magnet spears, so happily there were no gaping wounds from which lifeblood flowed. Ardsolus and Murga lay dead where the fight was hottest, both slain at once. The dead and wounded twin souls were sent to Egyplosis as quickly as possible, and the process of clearing the air of the havoc of war was carried out by both the enemy and ourselves with the greatest dispatch. The losses of the enemy were four times greater than ours, owing to the tremendous execution done by our gigantic pistols. The royal troops presented in ghastly groups every possible posture of the human body that could be created by rage, pain, fear or madness. How I wished some eloquent historian could have floated through that abyss of horror on distended wings and, pen in hand, describe its dramatic desolation and terror. Clouds of vultures and seamorg were devouring the dead bodies and, as they fought for choice morsels, flapped their wings in pools of gore. Many of the combatants, including some of my own sailors, were drowned in globes of blood.
End of chapter 52